the Diamondbacks have a chance to exorcise some playoff demons this October. Hello, everyone. I am Mike McDermott, part of the beat on Fan Nation's Inside Diamondbacks on the Sports Illustrated website and on today's episode of Snakes on the Diamond. We're going to talk about how the Diamondbacks have erupted in the postseason and have won their first four games with a chance to close out the Dodgers in Game 3 of the NLDS at Chase Field tonight, as well as recap some of the other series that have gone on this week, and perhaps also a bit of a preview of what's to come for the Diamondbacks. So again, you can follow me on x slash Twitter at Michael MLB if you're interested in checking out some of the written published content that I do for Inside Diamondbacks, you can go to si.com slash MLB slash Diamondbacks. So now getting into the division series, the Diamondbacks have an opportunity to close out the Dodgers with two games at Chase Field if necessary before heading back to Dodger Stadium for game five. And you look at the Diamondbacks right now, how they've gotten there is kind of impressive. Nobody expected them to get into the playoffs and then sweep Milwaukee in a best of three and push the Dodgers to the brink in a best of five. They still have one more game to go tonight. The two probable starters are Lance Lynn and Brandon Fott. Obviously, both pitchers have a bit of a home run issue. So it's gonna it may come down to who hits more home runs tonight in the bullpen because I expect both teams to be in the bullpen pretty early. The Diamondbacks' improbable playoff run, we look at it, and here's a, here's a fun little stat to kind of picture it together. The Diamondbacks have won more postseason games with Corbin Carroll on the team than Paul Goldschmidt, if you compare the two careers. Now, of course, you can argue that Paul Goldschmidt has the best homegrown talent in the franchise's history and all the accolades that he's done over the past decade. But, the Diamondbacks haven't necessarily built a team around him that could win in the postseason. Because if you look at the uh, the two teams that appeared in the postseason, the 2011 Diamondbacks and the 2017 edition, the Goldie was a rookie on that 2011 team. It was a, a team that played Milwaukee tough for five games, but unfortunately uh, they were beaten in the end. The the D-backs ultimately weren't able to get back in the postseason due to a series of, I guess you can say poor moves. There was a lot of poor moves in that in the next six years. And they didn't get into the postseason with Goldschmidt as the star player until the 2017 season. And that was Mike Hayes and Tory Lavelle's first year running the club. And there was, and Tory was managing a team that was assembled before he got there. So it's kind of hard. Try and figure out kind of the tendencies. Of course, if you look at that 2017 Diamondbacks, you had Zach Greinke who picked up some Cy Young votes. I think Robbie Ray did as well. And I'm going to do a quick search here and see where they finished on the Cy Young award race. So Greinke in 2017 finished fourth in the National League Cy Young award. And Robbie Ray finished seventh. So you had two guys that picked up in your rotation that picked up a Cy Young vote. However, uh, as you look at it right there, Granke ended up getting 52 points. Ray got six points. So those are probably down ballot votes. 
um, since it was the year that Max Scherzer basically dominated baseball with most wins above replacement, 200 innings, 268 strikeouts, and in the ERA plus department was only one point less than Kershaw. But I think it comes down to uh, the 200 innings was the big factor there, making 31 starts in two complete games as opposed to 27 and one. But going back into that 2000, that 2017 team, they had a pretty solid, and it's like they have a pretty solid lineup. Like you said, AJ Pollock, Tel Marte, of course. The we had today's version of Tel Marte. Who knows what that lineup was like? So the uh, younger version of Marte before he started hitting for power. Paul Goldschmidt, obviously, was third in the MVP. J.D. Martinez, if he had played any longer on the Dimex, might have won the MVP in the National League. So they were pretty, I think it was a pretty top-heavy lineup. I think this lineup is a little bit deeper. If you look at, I think there's six, you look at the 2023 Dimebacks, there's six players deep going from Carroll to Gurriel. If Carroll, Marte, the uh, peak version of Cattell Marte, then your three-hole hitter, Tommy Pham, has been a nice midseason pickup even though he's battling a bit of a turf toe injury, but he's been able to produce in the lineup. Christian Walker, guy that they actually picked up. Walker was the only, the other player that was in the 2017 Division Series. Had a hit in his only at bat. Of course, Walker making a bigger impact this postseason than six years ago. And then Gabriel Moreno might be Mike Hazen's biggest trade pickup. And of course, that trade pickup list includes Zach Gallon. Obviously, an ace pitcher is a big pickup, but Moreno having a stud catcher, I think, makes a huge difference between a team that can get into the postseason versus a team that can win in the postseason. So that Moreno trade ended up being a huge lift for the team and having that kind of guy who can not only hit, but also all checks off all the boxes defensively at the catcher position. Like the Diamondbacks are set up for a long run of success with Carroll and Moreno as their top two players. And, of course, Gurriel, a very good hitter, batting six. So the D-backs lineup is six batters deep, and it's a little bit deeper lineup than the Dodgers, which is why you're seeing them outscore them 15-4 to four in the two games. But of course, uh, you look at the Diamondbacks lineup, they were slumping going into the postseason. Their first four postseason games, they are averaging six runs a game and have scored no fewer than four runs. That was game two of the division series in which uh, Dave Roberts did a great job of slowing down the Dimebacks lineup after they put three runs on Bobby Miller in the first inning. But afterwards, uh, the Dimebacks bullpen was the one that uh, proved to be the tougher bullpen in the end as they held the dodge. Well, you could say they held him scoreless and one inherited runner ended up scoring, I think, out of two. uh, Out of the two that Saul Frank inherited. And Ryan Thompson has pitched out some bases loaded jams this postseason. But Thompson, you can argue, is the Diamondbacks' biggest mid-season pickup. Almost as important as Paul Seawall. Just that emotional lift that you have that ninth inning. That guy has the ninth inning. And you know that Thompson comes in and he's going to put up zeros. Same thing with Kevin Ginkle. So it gives the Diamondbacks a pretty good foundation in their bullpen. And, just, and you can just match up the rest of the way. And that's why the Diamondbacks' bullpen has been excellent since September 1st. Like having all those guys in place and has kind of created a cascading effect where guys know if they do their job, they can hand it off to the next guy. They'll do their job kind of thing. And it's a 
that's just a it just creates a domino effect in which everyone performs better. The game three tonight, as I said, it's going to be probably both stars will be out by the fifth inning. That's my prediction. For the D-backs to, so D-backs need to have a lead before the Dodgers bullpen comes into the game. Even though Roberts used the bullpen for 24 outs in game two, none of them were particularly extended. I think Joe Kelly had the biggest pitch count at 31, 31 pitches. Look at the uh, box score for game two. And then look at the game two box score. Look up the pitch count. Obviously, the Diamondbacks bullpen is pretty well rested. Kelly and Gallon have combined for 11 and two-thirds innings. And in game one, they didn't necessarily use any of their high leverage guys. Game two, they certainly did, but the high the game was saved before the seventh inning. Was game was saved before the seventh inning. I would say in the sixth and the seventh inning, as opposed to the eighth and ninth, of course. Uh, the main key, obviously, you don't know when the game's going to be saved, so you need a lot of good relievers. Save the game when it needs to be saved. Which, in the case of D-backs, the game needed to be saved in the sixth inning when they had when the Dodgers had the bases loaded and the tying run was at second base with one out. But Sal uh, Frank gets Outman the strikeout for the second out. That ended up being a huge play in that game because then that means Thompson's coming in facing either facing a nine either the nine hole hitter or a pinch hitter with the bases loaded. If you can get his guy, you're out of the inning, and that's what happened because you got Colton Wong pinch hitter off the bench to. Bounce out. If Google decides to work, get those pitch counts for you. I don't like it. Okay, so. Trying to find it. Oh, Google's not here. Let's go straight to the source. We'll go to D-Back's website to get those numbers. Game game two, we're going to go into the box score to get the pitch counts. So if you look at the Dodgers' bullpen and the number of pitches they threw, so uh, Bruce Dargraderal, 23, Ryan Brazier, 27, Joe Kelly, 31. Evan Phillips twenty four, and these um, now if this was back to back throwing that many pitches, that would be a concern for the Dodgers. But uh, since there was a off day between games two and three, that's not necessarily a factor. I think both teams' bullpens are in full go. And if you look at Dimex pitch counts in game two, saw Frank fifteen, Thompson fifteen, Ginkle set uh fourteen, Seawald eleven. So both bullpens should be rested for game three. And Expect both managers to be very aggressive in trying to curb momentum when it pops up in the game. So similar to Fox start against Milwaukee, gave up three early runs and in the third inning, the Brewers had two runners in scoring positions. So that's when Torrey went to the bullpen. That a similar situation could play out that way. But I think it's important for the D-backs to get to Lance Lynn early, first, second inning. Hit a couple home runs. Uh, get some guys on base. Hit a couple homers. So Lance Lynn gave up the most home runs. 
on the season with 44, but we're not going to look at raw home run totals because that's nonsense. So we're going to look at home runs per nine. The Lance Lynn in Chicago gave up 2.1 home runs per nine in LA. Dodgers is 2.3 as we know. Let's look at the game logs. Is there, is it a case of one, and you ask yourself, is this a case of one bad game? Lynn made 11 starts. So there are some, so this is interesting. So looking at his game log, Lynn has had four starts in which he's given up multiple home runs. And of his 11 starts as a Dodger, he's given up home runs in nine of them. But, uh, so looking at it, so five games with one home run, one with two, and then three with three home runs for Lance. Not a case. It's a case of uh, there is a case of being homer prone. Maybe the D-backs can take advantage of that. Although if you look at his season numbers, when he went post trade, he's going from Chicago, who's which has got nothing going for them right now. And poor defense, uh, poor attitude, everything. Lynn as a Dodger has, despite being very homer prone with 16 home runs and 64 innings, has an ERA plus of 100. You can argue that the FIP doesn't back it up, the 616, but we're in the postseason right now. So with the postseason in mind, you can't necessarily use ERA estimators to kind of guarantee what he'll do. It's a case where if he's leaving mistakes over the heart of the plate and Dimex are all over him. They get up to an early lead, kind of take the Dodgers out of this series once again, kind of like how game one worked out. But also on the flip side, Fott's got to prevent those home runs as well. Fott. So maybe not quite as home run prone, and I say barely. You look at Fott, 96 innings. Home run per nine, 2.1.2 home runs. Although you can argue with Fott, the first six starts aren't as relevant because he's a different pitcher than he was in his final 13 appearances, 12 starts, but basically starts. His non-start was six innings. So if you look at July 22nd, Onwards, that's 70 innings, 13 homers. Now, that's a slight improvement in homers per nine. And only a slight improvement. Good news is there isn't very many walks, only 13 walks. I mean, 16 walks, sorry. 13 homers. And he's holding opposing base run, opposing teams to a sub-300 on-base percentage because the key for Fott is to limit the damage. For a guy that's home run prone, it's limiting the damage. So it's like so, the old adage, solo homers don't beat you. That's the thought process there. So by holding opposing hitters, getting hitters out 7 out of 10 times, opposed to the major league average of like uh, 8 out of 25 or basically. I think it's like a 320 on base percentage is typically around the major league average. That should limit the amount of innings. We know the Dodgers are going to come out swinging. Uh, so getting that first inning zero is going to be 
very important. If Flat puts up a zero in the first inning, I think the D-backs can get to Lance Lynn. If he gives up runs in the first inning, I think it's going to be tough to rest. So that's going to be a key point to watch that top of the first. Because he's going to be facing Betts and Freeman. And if this inning extends, Smith, Muncie, Martinez. Look, if he faces five batters, the odds of him giving up a run are pretty high. Anyway, so. However, if Fott's able to shut down the Dodgers in, in the first inning, and it may take some good defense, like in game one, where Christian Walker made a diving catch on a ball that was going to split him and Marte. But it may take some good defense early. And the Diamondbacks certainly had the uh, defensive abilities in the outfield. Very solid defensive infield. Going to take the defense making a couple plays, I think, to take the Dodgers off the scoreboard in the first. That happens. Then you go get into the mindset of taking shots on Lance Lynn, who can at times be very homer prone, as mentioned before. And if they can get to Lynn, then the D-backs, once again, like in games one and two, can control the pace and the flow of the game with a lead because they have the bullpen that can make it happen. My prediction for game three is the Dodgers will take their first lead of the series, I think, early. Um, it'll be off fought, and it'll be the bullpen will be coming in in the fourth or fifth inning. And it's gonna be a one. It's gonna come down to a one-run game, like a four-three type of game in the sixth or seventh inning. And so both teams are gonna have a bases-loaded opportunity late. And come down to who executes. The I'm not gonna give a score or predict the backs sweep, although that'd be nice because then that's a obviously in the uh, sports writing journalism world. It's like if sweep that means uh, I can catch up on some stuff in the fall league. It'll be which will I'll be. the game on TV or on my phone. It's inside the Dimebacks. It includes we're, and we're, when we say Dimebacks, we don't mean just the 26 players on the roster, but also the hundreds of players in the organization. If you made it this far in the video, the 18-minute mark, hit that subscribe button and leave a like. Comment down below. Who you predict to win game three? Is, will the D-backs complete the sweep, or will the Dodgers live to play another day? And in the event that the Dodgers do live to play in another day, the Dimebacks will be sending Merrill Kelly out for game four on normal rest, that extra off day. Between games one and two, very advantageous for the D-backs, as it's allowed them to minimize their... I would say the fatal flaw on the team now is the lack of starting pitching depth. So in a five-game series when you can use only three pitchers and your third pitcher only once, that's a huge help. The off days have definitely favored the Diamondbacks more so than the Dodgers. That's okay. You play who you play when they tell you to play. And you got Kelly for game four. And I feel like the D-backs, if they want to dance to the championship series, can't let the series leave Phoenix. And I emphasize it. Cannot let the series and in Phoenix. The series needs to end with a pool party. And also, uh, I think it's like game three isn't necessarily essential because, and I'm not going to downplay the importance, taking down the Dodgers as soon as possible is still a good thing. But it's not the end of the world if they don't win game three. Because worst case scenario, Kelly has to start game four and you, you win that. And if you win that game, okay, 
gallon starting game one of the championship series. And if you take a game in the championship series, he's guaranteed to start twice. And uh, Diamondbacks will obviously be traveling east for the games one and two of the championship series. It's the only question of Atlanta or Philadelphia. Although I do say I'd rather see the D-backs play the Braves than the Phillies in a seven-game series. The Braves have some starting pitching questions. They lost Kyle Wright for next season as well. Wright was a key pitcher in their 2020. Yeah, key pitcher last year for them, 20-game winner. Losing him has certainly made the Braves a little more vulnerable, although they did have a very spirited comeback in game two. Give the Braves their flowers for that. They looked dead after six. They looked dead after five innings, like series over. But they came back and scored five runs on Philadelphia, three on Wheeler, and then it's big two-run homer off Hoffman in the eighth inning, and then Austin Riley, of course. The guy, the guy doesn't put up big numbers in the regular season, and I say big, I mean, like, he, he kind of catches you off guard. You don't really expect him to be in the MVP conversation. The guy just is a postseason performer. I'm not sure what the numbers say about it. Seems like a lot of big moments with the Braves last three or four years. He seems to be in the center of all of it. And of course, uh, not a big performer. The guy's just casually putting six more seasons every year. <laughs> like you look at Austin, it's like not a big performer. He may not win an MVP, but he's constantly putting up six more seasons. You look at the last three years, six, three, six, five, five, nine on uh baseball reference. Once he's finally got his chance to play every day as position, very underrated player. The Braves should be happy for having him extended. the foreseeable the postseason batting huh the numbers aren't yeah that's bizarre <laughs> well sometimes it's the moments not you remember the moments more than you remember the uh numbers but of course you look at riley riley hit 320 in the world series that they won championship series not and then he also had a big division series against milwaukee so two out of three series in the championship run. Solid series against the Marlins in 2020, which we put an asterisk around, but having a um that's more or less how it went. And then obviously it went cold. Philadelphia punked him last year. But anyways, going into that division series as a whole, the Diamondbacks. Best case scenario, they want that series to go five games in the event of, especially if the Phillies win. Because if Philly has to use Zach Wheeler twice, then that means he can only pitch once in the championship series. And you want to, and for the D-backs, it's minimizing the amount of games that they face Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, who might be the top two postseason performers in the league right now. You want to minimize the number of times you face them. Just like the D-backs want to finish off the Dodgers, in game three to maximize the number of chances, number of starts that they can get from Kelly and Gallon in the championship series. It's a, it's a situation where if you can get four starts between Kelly and Gallon, three starts between Nola and Wheeler in a hypothetical D-backs Phillies series, it could play out in the Dimebacks' favor. Versus with Atlanta, Atlanta's a little bit lined up a little bit weird. Obviously, uh, even if they go, fi- uh, even if they only go in even if they go five, they still got Max Freed, who is 
electric when he's healthy, lined up for game one in the championship series. And that's not necessarily a pitching matchup that favors the D-backs, even if you got Kelly or Gallon. Max Fried, his last healthy season was second place in the Cy Young Award last year, and it was a pretty firm second place. And then, obviously, Strider, I think you want to minimize the number of starts for Strider. So a five-game series would mean Strider would have to pitch, would only pitch once in the championship series. So again, it's the same thing as the Nola Wheeler, limiting the number of starts at Strider and Limiting number starts at Strider and Freed. So, if the D-backs advance to the championship series, you want to see the other division series go five games, no fewer than five games. Of course, my prediction was Phillies in five, and I'm still sticking with Phillies in five. But the D-backs, obviously, since the series is completely flipped upside down relative to my expectations, because before game one, I wasn't sure if this team could win a game in Dodger Stadium. They've since proved me wrong twice. We'll say D-backs in four. The Dodgers will land a couple haymakers tonight. D-backs will regroup. Merrill Kelly, and then they'll uh, get them in game four if they don't take them out. But I still think the D-backs' best chance of advancing is winning game three before the Dodgers gain any sort of confidence. Finishing them off when they're down. Now, in the American League Division Series, we already know that the Rangers, who are a very dangerous team when they're clicking, like they have all the ingredients to win a World Series. They have the best lineup in the postseason. They have a proven starting pitcher performer in Nathan Ivaldi, who will probably start game one of the ALCS if it lines up. Now, maybe I think the, and then Jordan Montgomery had one bad, one good start. One, no, not good. Let's call that an amazing start. One bad, one amazing start. So that's a, that's their one, two punch. And that's a very good one, two punch. Their bullpen, as long as they don't pitch Chapman in the ninth inning in a tight ball game is also pretty good. Like Jose Leclerc closing probably makes sense for them. And Bruce Bochy obviously knows how to win the postseason. Ask Giants fans how that works. They got Bochy who could, in my opinion, if the Rangers win the World Series, I think Bruce Bochy's Hall of Fame credentials are cemented if the Rangers win the World Series. Obviously, his re- overall record isn't necessarily scream Hall of Fame manager, but when he's had a team, when he's had teams that could win a World Series, he's delivered. I mean, speaking of the fact that Bruce Bochy has eight more losses and wins in his career, but sometimes the record can be misleading. Lead San Diego to a NL pennant '98, three World Series with the Giants, and the Rangers are four wins away from the Rangers are five and zero this postseason. Is there a postseason wins loss? Okay, so Bochi is forty nine and thirty three in the postseason. So that that to me overrides whatever years where his teams were absolutely garbage and were losing ninety plus games. Bochi in the postseason is, as I mentioned, forty. 9 and 33, of course, most of that coming in San Francisco. But if you look at San Francisco and Texas, he's 41 and 17. Not necessarily great with the challenges. Eleven to twenty nine in this year, but that's uh we'll call that a team operation there, folks, when it's uh, bad. 
So that's kind of my thoughts on the uh, Rangers advancing to the championship series. You look at the Astros versus Twins. I feel like it's going to be tough for Minnesota to win two straight against Houston. Game Obviously, they have to win game four today. We'll take a look at that score since we're recording at 2 o'clock Arizona time. So the Ash, so the uh, so this is gonna be amazing. So the wins first pitch at Target Field is at four oh seven Arizona time. Meanwhile, in the game in Philadelphia is getting ready to start soon. First pitch in less than five minutes in Philadelphia. And of course, you look at that division series. Obviously, winning Game One, Philadelphia has taken away. Home field advantage from the Braves. The Braves to get it back have to win games three or four. Kind of thing. I think I think the Braves are playing for their season today. Philadelphia, if they go down 2-1, isn't necessarily too worried. You have game four on the road and they already won one game in Atlanta. But I do think this is where maybe Philadelphia gets a little... Oh, wait. No. Aaron Nola's starting. There is no exposure with starting pitching. I forgot. Like the D-backs, the... The Phillies can run three starting pitchers out there. And they and Philadelphia's already used their game three guy and won that game with Ranger Suarez in game one. Whereas uh, Atlanta, I think their starting pitching depth is their kind of main weakness. Out, uh, Strider, Freed, and now they're Bryce Elder in game, three games. I think having the fact that the series is three actually comes out as a wash between use three pitchers is like it's a wash but i think it favors philadelphia a little bit because aaron i'll take aaron nola and zach wheeler in the postseason over strider and freed even though freed has plenty of credentials freed proved and, and uh, freed basically proved himself in that 21 postseason One post. Well, the numbers look worse than they actually were. Max Fried threw seven shutout innings in Game Seven in the in the uh, series clincher. So that's all he needed. No, for his uh, ability to pitch in the postseason. So, like I said, good game in Philadelphia. The D-backs again have a chance to win Game Three. Wouldn't be ideal for the D-backs to win game three. Not necessarily in the world they don't. Because they got game four and you got Kelly Gallon set up for four and five. Although, as I said, the series should end in Phoenix. Just simply because you don't want to play another game in Dodger Stadium. You don't want to be in that position where a fluky bounce ends your season. Fluky bounce, a play not made. A mistake ends your season. And for the most part, the D-backs have done a pretty good job of avoiding those type of mistakes in their four playoff games. That's going to wrap it up again. If you enjoy the content, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Leave a like and comment down below who your prediction of the championship series is. is who, is the, who do the Dimebacks finish off the Dodgers? And if they do, who do you think takes the Atlanta, the other, the Atlanta Philly series? And how many games that will? And then also make sure to 
turn on the bell for notifications so that way you do not miss an upload or a future live podcast episode like i said we like to do these podcast episodes live that's the main thing and also share this whether it's on facebook twitter or wherever it is like just spread the word and the more eyeballs the more ears we reach the better 